thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. Jesus pursues us as a husband pursues his wife. Which for some of us, like we, we're excited because we get it, we know that analogy, we know that terminology, we know what that means for a husband to pursue their wives. We know exactly what that's like. That means it's fresh flowers in a vase when they get home. It's, it's the kind of husband that they'll, they'll do chores. Ladies, like if your husband came home and like there were chores done, you would be like, oh, wow. And so like that's the kind of husband that would pursue their wife. It's the same kind of husband that they, uh, they'll text you throughout the day and they'll say, thinking about you. Just a little random text. It's the kind of husband that... Um, they gaze into your eyes and they're actually listening. Like I gaze, I gaze into my wife's eyes, my wife's eyes often, uh, but she'll say, are you listening? Huh? What? <laughs> and so uh, that's, anyway, some of you ladies know. But for others of us, we don't have that picture. We don't know what that means for like a husband to pursue their wife. Maybe for some of you, like you had an absent dad, like they checked out for whatever reason, they were gone. Maybe for you ladies, like maybe you had that husband that was, you know, I don't know, a better way of saying it, like they were deadbeat, or they were selfish, or narcissist. Man, those are terrible. And we pray for them, because the Lord can still deliver. And you go to sleep at night and you, you're cold, because there's no one around. Like, so there's, there's different ends of that spectrum, but I want to remind you that Jesus pursues us as a husband, pursues his wife. Here's the good news. In Hosea, which is strange, so you can go on and flip to Hosea. The good news, and it is strange that it's Hosea, because um, I remember some of the marital advice I gave to someone once. Uh, their marriage was in shambles. The wife at this point had checked out. The husband had halfway checked out because he checked out earlier, and he came back a little bit. He's like, "I'm re you ready to check it out again?" And then, no, no, no. I said, "Hey, why don't you read Hosea?" And if you've been around the Bible, you you know what Hosea is like. And we're going to go through kind of cursory in just a moment what Hosea looks like. But Hosea means salvation. Like it's, the book of Hosea, there's a few people's names mentioned. And every time there's a name mentioned in Hosea, it matters. Now, every time there's a name in the Bible, it matters. But the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, like they really looked at names a lot. And Hosea was no, he was no different. So for Hosea, his name means salvation. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's very similar to Joshua, <coughs> which means salvation or God saves, which is also very similar to the, the Greek word for, for Jesus, Yeshua. And so you would find, well, the Greek word is the Asus, but like the, the Hebrew transliteration of it would be Yeshua. And so like they all, they all center around the fact that God saves. So I want to tell you kind of the format as we go through these minor prophets with major statements. The format that we're going to look at to kind of help us. So how in the world, for example, there's 14 chapters in Hosea. I took the long one, but also the first one. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. The format to help you if you're taking notes and you're like, I want to be able to remember this later, James. I've never read through it or really studied deep into it. We're going to give you some stuff that you're going to, we're going to just drop a little nuggets in there. They, you know, I might want to further explore that. But the format's going to be, there's going to be good news. We're going to look at the good news in the minor 
prophet. We're going to look at bad news. We're going to look or answer the question, where are we? And then we're going to answer the question, where is Jesus? Because every, every book in the Bible points to Jesus. Which is funny because there's a book called, I say funny, ironic. There's a book called Esther. And if you've been around the Bible, if, you, if you've read along with us last year when we were working through the Bible in a year, Esther was an entire book that never ever mentions the name of God, ever, not once. But every book, everything that was written points to Jesus. So again, we're going to look at good news, bad news, where are we, and where is Jesus? And that's, we're going to give you some background on all this kind of things, but those are the four. If you were to have an outline, good news, bad news, where are we, where is Jesus? So you can answer those. Good news. Let's start off with some good news. God's grace initiates great relationships. God's grace initiates great relationships. Hosea, there's five times in the book of Hosea, and you can write these down. We're not going to read all of them. Five times in the book of Hosea, we, we see this, where God's initiating a great or restored relationship. Chapter 1, verse 10, through chapter 2, verse 1. Yet the number of the Israelites will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or counted. And in the place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And, like, and so it kind of goes through there. He just... And we know, and if you were here last week or if you listened online on, on Spotify or Anchor or wherever you listen to podcasts besides Apple, because we're not there for whatever reason, they hate us. But if you listened last week, the minor prophets always talk about judgment and repentance and usually restoration. Like that's, the, that's the deal. They were here to give us, hey, there's a judgment. There's, you're doing something wrong. Story of my life. And then the Lord wants to restore after we've repented. So he had just kind of gone through that. And then we see verses 10 through chapter 2, verse 1. See it again in chapter 2, verse 14 through 23. Verse 14, I'm going to read it again later, but it says, Therefore, God says, I'm going to persuade her. And we'll find out who her is in just a moment. Lead her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Or my footnote says, speak to her heart. And that's all the way to verse 23. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to me, Go again, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the Israelites, through, though they turn to other gods and love fig newtons. Or raisin cakes. Sweet cakes. They, would just, they wanted something sweet. Anyway. Chapter 11, verses 8 through 11. And then again, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Have you ever had like a great relationship? Like You know what they're like if you have a great relationship. But when I think about the Lord and how he, he initiates, his grace initiates great relationships, it reminds me like when I first met Mary. And she had met me, but I met her. It was 2003. I was a door holder uh, for our college group. And so just like, just like Deebs does, you know, he opens the door and he holds, you know, welcome. I was opening door for folks at the Turtle Creek, not the Turtle Creek, the Cloverleaf Mall in Hattiesburg, which is, if you've been to Hattiesburg, it's a rundown, rinky-dink kind of place. And I remember the food court was open during the day, and it was just, I'm like, oh, I don't know. And anyway, so at night, though, the, the church that I went to, they rented that place out for youth and then for college, and so I'd open the door, and these, all these people would be coming in, and I remember catching Mary, and I'm like, oh, she's beautiful. And so I'd be like, hey, Mary. And she has no, if you ask her, which she's not here today, but if you ask her, she'll have no recollection ever of seeing me hold the door open for her. I could not initiate a great relationship with her. 
I couldn't. I tried. I tried. There was one time we were supposed to go see a Matrix movie ticket. I mean, a, a wholesome, godly movie together. Because uh, we, don't, we don't sin. Uh, and we were supposed to go see a movie together. And now she didn't know that. Uh, her roommate invited her as a wingman. And so my friend invited me to be another wingman. And so then she bailed, which she didn't even know that, about the movie. I tried and tried and tried to initiate a great relationship. It didn't happen. Why? Because great relationships usually, not always, but usually don't happen with you pursuing and with you initiating it. It's usually like you have an interest, but like God's got to work on that. That's how great relationships work. And our relationship with Jesus works the same way. God, in his grace, pursued that great relationship for us. I mean, imagine if, if I were to have gotten Mary, right? Opened the door, got Mary, and, and she, she was interested in me. What would that do for my mentality? I would go around everywhere bragging about, guys, I was a door holder and I got Mary. Isn't that great? Like, she just loved me. Immediately, just like that. Immediately, I'd turn into Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Braggadocious or narcissist, however you want to say it. Like, that's, like, his whole thing, his whole persona was he was, he was a braggart. That's what he would do. And imagine if we initiated the relationship with God. We would go around, maybe on a high horse at work or at school or wherever we are in our families and say, look what I did. I got God. I got Jesus. I did that. Instead, God initiates the relationship with us. And that's good news because while we were powerless, the Bible tells us, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me and that's you. That's our friends and our family. Christ died for us. God pursues us as he restores our worship to give him the utmost honor. And so that's what the prophet spoke of. He's speaking of judgment here. And, and, so, and we're going to look at the bad news in just a moment. But the prophet also spoke of restoration. Like the names, if you can, let's go to Hosea chapter 1. Names are huge. Verse 4, he says, the Lord said to Hosea about his first kid, he says, name him Jezreel. Which the footnote says, God sows. For in a little while, I, God, will bring bloodshed. God will sow bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. And he's going to put an end to the kingdom. I see another name. The Lord says about his daughter that's being born, name her Lo Roma, which means not my people, for I will no longer have compassion. And then again, he, they have another kid. Name this, guy, this kid Loami, for you are not my people. No compassion, no people. God sows. Names are huge. Hosea. So what is the story, what is this whole story about? If we were to condense it into just a little, little blurb, what would Hosea be about? Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came, that came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, which Hosea was a prophet of Israel. So they quit following after God as a whole. And the, the kingdom split into two. And so there was a northern part and a southern part of God's people. The northern part, they still retained the name of Israel and the capital of Samaria. And then you had a southern part. And they called that Judah. 
uh, after the tribe that mainly ruled down there. And that's where Jesus kind of came through, his line of the tribe of Judah. And so they had prophets that would prophesy primarily to one group or the other group. Hosea, the Talmud, which is about 300-year document that kind of chronicles or talks about, it's, it's a commentary on Jewish tradition. It says that Hosea is perhaps the greatest prophet of his generation, which I would argue against, because in that group of prophets, there's five that would prophesy in that generation to northern Israel. You have Amos, which he was kind of bef right before Hosea. You have Amos, Hosea, I don't want to tell you the, the big one. Micah, Jonah, and Isaiah. And so immediately, you know my love for Isaiah, and so I'd argue, I'm like, man, I love Isaiah. In fact, I'm, we're, I'm, we're going to quote him in just a moment. But they spoke, the Jewish folks spoke so highly of the judgment, the repentance, and the reconciliation noted in this book. And what he would, in fact, as a prophet, he spoke the longest. He was, if you look again in verse 1, it says that he was during the reigns of these four different kings in a, in a few years before and a few years after. And so he put it all together. He, he was prophesying for about 50 plus years. You would think that the best prophet would have the best message. Here, the, Lord, the, the word of the Lord spoke to Hosea and he wanted to tell his people, man, you are awesome. You're doing a great job. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep the status quo. It's like the, having the best batting average, right? Best batting average in Major League Baseball. I, I looked it up. American League, best batting average out of all of the players as of, as, as of last week was the guy from the Cincinnati Reds, Nick Castellano, at a 362. Can you imagine getting paid millions and millions of dollars for hitting one ball out of three balls? Or three at-bats, hitting, hitting, getting a hit one out of every three at-bats? Millions of dollars. If I had one good sermon out ever, anyway. Um, but in his most recent game against the Colorado Rockies, he went two for five. He had seven at-bats, and he only did something twice. He was two for five. Maybe it's five at-bats. I don't do baseball. I, I watch pro wrestling. Forgive me. He had two runs, though. He had one RBI, and so you would think that he was the best player because he has the best batting average. You'd think that he'd be the best player. But even ESPN notes, they said, quote, even the dominating, even though he's dominating, it didn't rub off on the rest of the team. And like, so their team, their team is number 19 out of all the, just the American League teams. So he's number one out of the entire Major League Baseball, um, the American League and the National League, out of all the players. Number one with his batting average. Best message ever. So you'd think someone with the, that was the best would have the best message. Clearly, he doesn't. No offense to him. Like he, he's way better than I ever could. I couldn't dream of lacing his boots. They don't wear boots, do they? I like pro wrestling. Here we go. So you'd think that Hosea has the best message, the nicest message, because he's, quote, the best prophet. Those were all the good news. Here's the bad news. Chapter 1, verse 2. So when the word, when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him. 
He says, go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. Wow. You think the best prophet would have the best message and instead it's like, hey, I want you to marry a woman of promiscuity. Huh, okay. And then I want you to have children of promiscuity too. Okay, I'm gonna write that one down, cool. I love it though, the very first, when it says the word of the Lord first spoke to Hosea, it wasn't saying like, hey, I, I'm speaking just to you, Hosea, just to you, no one else. The idea, it's a, it's a Hebrew idiom or Hebrew expression. They wanted, oftentimes in the, in the Old Testament, when they would say the word to, the word of the Lord spoke to someone, it means I'm speaking to you to speak to others or on behalf of others. Meaning that the Lord was speaking by Hosea to other people. Well, what do you mean by promiscuity? Well, I kind of know what that means, but she would prove to be unfaithful. That was the, the goal here. God was saying, I want you to let everyone know that your wife has been unfaithful and she will prove to be unfaithful. In, in the, in, 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 you know, unfaithfulness is the worst form of betrayal, isn't it? And then it says, children of promiscuity. What, what does that mean? Like my kids will also do the same thing? No, no, no. Oftentimes in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, they would use descriptions, children of promiscuity. They would use descriptions as another Hebrew form of expression, saying, like pointing back to the initial person's character, or in this case, the mom's character, saying like she was a, 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 she was a woman of promiscuity. She was unfaithful. And the kids are also a result of her being unfaithful. We'll see a couple of examples, Psalm 127, verse 4, and Genesis 37, verse 3. God really wanted, here's the deal, God really wanted Hosea to take a wife who would forever be known as unfaithful because this is how God's bride had been. He wanted for the rest of time for everyone to know that the wife was unfaithful because God's bride, Israel, had been unfaithful. Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 5. All right, well, James, where do you get the idea that, that Israel is the bride of God? Like, that that's God's, well, it's a few different spots in the Old Testament, but Isaiah 54, verse 5. Indeed, your husband is your maker. That's pretty clear. His name is the Lord of armies. Even clearer. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of the whole earth. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 8 through 4, is a, is a section, and we won't go there, but it's a section that really talks about another prophet. It talks about this beautiful, beautiful relationship between Israel, or God's chosen people, and the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord God of armies. It's a beautiful selection. Of note, it says, quote, your fame spread among the nations, he's talking to Israel, because of your beauty. Can you imagine like a whole America being called beautiful, right? Like if, some, if a prophet were to come by and say, hey, America the beautiful, that could be a song. If they said America was beautiful, like you're known among all the nations because of your beauty. We're not. But for it was perfect through my splendor, God says, it wasn't because you did anything for yourself to claim anything for yourself. I don't want you to become a Gaston. I don't want you to brag about anything. God says, I bestowed it on you. And it's through my splendor. 
The point is, the heart, and this is the bad news, the heart of God's bride turned ugly. How ugly? Well, I'm glad you asked. Two things. First, politically it turned ugly. Why? Because politically they began to rely on, on other folks. Politically they began to rely on other, other nations. See, Israel, they, they were told to trust in God alone. They were told to trust alone in the Lord, but often they relied on political relationships of the people that were around them. So they, I know this is a little bit of history and background, but they would rely. So imagine a little country, little itty bitty country of Israel. They don't have a lot of manpower. Now they have the name of the Lord and he can do all things and he's shown them over and over and over and over again that I can do all things God would, would do. He would do, he would do. But every time they would, I don't know if you can do that, God. They would rely on the people next to them, the bigger countries next to them, which in this case, especially in this book, were Egypt to the south and Assyria to the north. So they began to rely on other countries to help them out. Well, hey, if you scratch our backs, like we'll scratch your, you know, like, and so they would start to make deals in this time period. We see that in chapter three, verse four, Hosea chapter three, verse four, it says this, which is a very, very, very short, chap uh, very, very short uh, chapter. For the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, God says, without sacrifice or sacred pillar and without ephod or household idols. Because they had like gone to, like the, one of their punishments is that they, they started to rely on other kings. There's even a spot in the book Samuel, 1 Samuel, where Israel started clamoring. They're saying, hey, all these countries around us, they're taking care of themselves, God, because they have a king. We need a king. We need a king, God. And God's like, I am your king. He's like, no, we need a king, God. I can imagine God rolling his eyes, like, fine, have it your way. Which he does with us all the time, right? We're like, God, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And it's not for God to give to you. And we pester him, and we pester him, and we want, and we put our heart's desire, we put our money into, and we put our heart's affections into, and then God's like, fine, have it your way. We see it again in chapter 7, verse 11, and you can flip there, you don't have to. So Ephraim has become like a silly, senseless dove. They call to Egypt, and they go to Assyria, like multiple times in the book of Hosea. And I went through and I started underlining, I'm like, oh my goodness. They, they were unfaithful, they prostituted themselves out to other countries, politically. And the second thing is spiritual worship. So politically, why, like, why did they get ugly? Because politically, they relied on other people besides the Lord, and, and also spiritually. That's probably even worse. God said, I want no other gods before me. And they would fail time and time again. They would fall into idol worship, and then there was a lifestyle that would follow that. So it's not just like, oh, you know, I'm going to start worshiping money. Like, none of us ever think about, like, hey, I'm worshiping money. I'm worshiping my schedule. I worship like what I did. I got married to date me. Like we, none of us ever go into life thinking I'm worshiping something, but we start to because our mind starts to go in that direction over and over and over again. And that's what happened here. They began to think, and it's not that they quit worshiping God. No, actually Hosea would say, man, you started, you were worshiping God and other stuff. So it's got God plus whatever. And if you've been around church stuff, you've heard the whole terminology, God plus this, and it never works out. God plus my marriage. I'm going to worship my marriage. God plus my finances. I'm going to worship my finances. God plus, like there's times where, where I see people, I see families, like they, God plus my kids. 
and they put their kids' schedules ahead of everything else. I had this one family, it's about 10 years ago, nine years ago, we were in Sunday school. If you've never heard of Sunday school, it's like, like, it's like school on Sundays for people to learn about the Bible. It's kind of, it can be really great and it can, and then I've also seen it not work well. But anyway, and so I remember I was sitting there and, and I'm listening and this person says, so she just, she just got a second or third husband. She just got another husband. And she says, man, my kids come first. And I said, no, ma'am. I said, your husband comes first. What? I said, that's what the Bible says. It, bugs, it, makes Chloe, it used to make Chloe cry, my daughter. If you're listening right now and this is your first time listening, my daughter, her name's Chloe. She's 12. I remember it used to make her cry. We'd be like laying on the couch or sitting together watching TV shows and and I'd say, hey, listen, you need to go to your bed. You need to go to sleep because mommy and daddy need to have mommy daddy time and watch TV or whatever. And she's like, why? She's like, I thought I was your favorite. And I said, uh, actually, mommy's my favorite. And man, it would make her cry every time. But husbands, we need to pursue our wives that way. You know why? Because God pursues you that way. Like when we sing about the overwhelming, reckless love of God, we're not saying God is reckless. No, we're saying that God pursues you so much. And he, he, Jesus says that he would leave 99 sheep that are taken care of. Hey, we're doing fine. We're cool. We're blind. We're dumb. But we're in one little area. We're safe. And God would go and he'd go find that one that's a little wayward. It's a little off. And God does that because he loves us so much. Anyway, they would, anytime we worship God plus something, it reveals our lack of trust. And the Lord Almighty, the one that says, the, the Lord, the capital L-O-R-D, like if you see in the book of Hosea over and over and over and over again, I was looking through it and I'd underline, I'm like, goodness gracious, capital L-O-R-D, God's, God's name. In Exodus chapter three, verse 14, Moses went to God and God's like, hey, I need you to go do this for me. And Moses, like, I, I, I can't speak. He's like, well, what do I say like to the people who, who, who are like, well, whose name do you do this and whose authority? And God's like, slow down. Tell them I am sent you. Oh, no, no, but what's your name? I am that I am. I exist. I be like, there's nothing else that you need to say. It's not God saves. God does this. I am. It's a superlative. And anytime we worship God plus something else, it reveals our lack of trust in God. Whether it's God in money, God in friends, God in our feelings, God in food. Hello? I gained a couple, I gained a few ounces yesterday. Like I'm getting, I'm like, oh, I made some bad choices. Also this morning when I got donuts and also next Sunday morning when I get donuts for y'all again. Gosh, that is terrible. But for some of us, uh, our God is our stomach, the Bible says. Anyway, that was free. Social media, our accomplishments. Sex, it always falls short. It always undelivers. It always leaves us worse off than we were before. When we ever mention, when we ever look at, when we ever worship God plus something else, we're like, oh, this is going to help me out. No, it always leaves us worse off than before. Unfaithfulness. Another way of putting it, I saw someone write this, that unfaithfulness is a, gives us a shallow love with a temporary gain. Unfaithfulness gives us a shallow love and an untemporary gain. And it could be a unfaithfulness like to our spouse unfaithfulness to like our money. We're like, ah, oh, you know, God, I'm not going to give you money this week. It could be uh, unfaithfulness to who we, who we truly are, that we're children of God, loved by the maker who wants us to shine our light before all men. And we're like, I don't know if I'm going to shine my light today. I'm going to, I'm going to run someone off the road. 
because they're morons. I had that happen. Not today, by the way. I am sanctified in that. I, I just overate and also said other things. But chapter 2, verse 13, it says it this way. And I will punish her, God says, for the days of the Baals, which is idol worship, to which she burned incense. She put on her rings and her jewelry and followed her lovers, but she forgot me. And God says it again in Hosea chapter 8, verse 4. They have installed kings, but not through me. They have appointed leaders, but without my approval, because, you know, the vote was rigged. They make their silver and gold into idols for themselves for their own destruction. Man, unfaithfulness gives you shallow love with temporary gain. And, get this, it makes a mockery of you. Hosea chapter 7, verse 16 says it this way. They turn, but not to what is above. They're like a faulty bow. Their leaders will fall by the sword because of their insolent tongue. They will be ridiculed for this in the land of Egypt. Like these people were like, man, we've relied on God plus this other stuff. And, you know, I don't know if it's working out over here in the God area. So we're going to have to go down to, uh, we're going to have to go down to Egypt. Let's go down to Egypt because maybe they'll accept us. And Egypt's like, come on, we'll accept you. Of course, we need more tax uh, workers. We need more people. Come on down, we'll accept you. But they're going to make fun of you. They're going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. You ever hear that? No? Sorry. Anyway, it's probably from a bad movie. I don't remember. So, that was the good news? Well, that was the bad news. So, we've looked at the good news? Because I always want to give you hope first. We've looked at the bad news of us. But where are we? Number three, where are we? In this book, where are we? We start off like the unfaithful. Paul says that there's no one that is good, not even one. Like, no one does good. We... We are unfaithful. Like Hosea's wife, her name's Gomer, by the way. Golly, her name's Gomer. True story. She was unfaithful, but man, we are unfaithful. I want you to think about last week. You can think about yesterday. How many times did you choose whatever over God? How many times did you choose whatever? Like for me, like when I was writing the sermon, so I've been studying all week and, and I've taken a couple different paths and finally I'm like, I'm just going to read through the whole book and then on top of a few other things. But when in the actual writing of it, I looked at Facebook six or seven different times. I lost count after six. Like, there's only five fingers. Maybe I lost count after five. I'm like, man, how many times did I look at Facebook when I'm writing? Like, why? Why? How many times did you choose something else over God this week? To be clear, I, I want to I be very, very clear that we are not Israel in this story. We are not Israel. We're never Israel. Like, that's not us. God's chosen people. That's a different, that's, oh, Hosea wrote specifically to a specific group of people at a specific time. And that was to Israel in this book. We, it, there's always a danger of reading too much into and like, hey, you know, I'm David in the story of David and Goliath. Well, you know, number one, you're not. And number two, Jesus is. And number three, like, there's, be careful of reading yourself into scripture. But, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9, at the very, very end. Let whoever is wise understand these things that I've written, and whoever is insightful recognize them. Like, whosoever surely meaneth me, right? If you grew up in church, whoever, that's all of us. Like, all Scripture is God-breathed, and all Scripture is is. is is applicable and it can divide even to the, to the deepest joints and sorrows, uh, Mara. 
I love it. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous, the kind of people that live the right kind of way, they walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. So where are we? We are unfaithful people. And maybe you're not as unfaithful as I am. Maybe you're like, dude, I'm great with my, my spouse or my family or my work or, my, or, or with God, but maybe not with money or maybe not with what I watch on TV or maybe not with how I spend my time. I don't know where you are, but we're all unfaithful to some degree. We need Jesus. So good news, bad news, where are we? Last is where is Jesus in Hosea? Where is Jesus? Chapter 13, verse 4, God says, I have been the Lord, capital Lord, your God, ever since the land of Egypt. And you know no God but me. And look at this. And no Savior exists besides me. I love it. There's no rescuer besides him. There's no one that's going to redeem us. There's no one that's going to bring us back to him. There's no one that can set things right. There's no one that will pursue us besides God. So what can we do? Jesus pursues us as a husband pursues his wife. Chapter 11, verse 8 says it this way. In fact, I underlined it and I put it, I even wrote at the top of my page. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? Those are great words to put on a tattoo, by the way. People would be like, whoa, what does all that mean? I have no clue. But listen to this. I have had a change of heart. My compassion is stirred. What can we do? I want, to, I, want to, I want to remind you that Jesus pursues us. Chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, I am going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Remember, I read that earlier. I'm going to speak to your heart. God's like, I always want to speak to your heart. He's like, I want to, I want to get in there and see what's going on in there. And I want to, I want to do some work. Verse 19, chapter 2, 19. God says, I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. Wait, wait, James. Didn't you just say, like, that we're not Israel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Israel is God's bride. But the church is Jesus' bride. So when we say yes to Jesus, when we trust Jesus, we become a part of this thing called the church, which God, which, which God is building with stones like us, like we are these stones, and God is building us into this church. And so Jesus is the groom, and we are the bride of Christ. So it's almost like Jesus saying, I will take you to be my wife forever. Can I, can I lose it? No, 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 forever. Because he'll pursue you, and he'll leave whatever he needs to do to go find you. Chapter 2, verse 23, he says, I will sow her in the land. Again, that word sow goes back to the, kind of harkens back to that name of the first kid. In chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 4, Jezreel, I will sow her in the land for myself. I will have compassion on Loruma. I will say to Loami, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. Jesus pursued your love all the way to the cross. And that is where Jesus is. And, well, he's not on the cross anymore. But that's where his pursuit was. And that is good news. So here's our challenge. Our response to the God who pursues us. Chapter 6, verse 6. I love this verse. Chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire faithful love 
and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God's like, I just want you to know me and love me faithfully. When you know me and love me faithfully, I desire faithful love. I don't desire sacrifice. He's like, I want, I, I want you to know God more than the stuff that you sing. So we need to, we close with the, the, these two verses here in Hosea chapter 12. What do we do? Chapter 12, verse 6. But you must return to your God and maintain love and justice. Like, what does it mean to maintain? Well, I've been tracking my weight on an app. And so I know, like today, I'm up a little bit. I'm, I told Mary, I said, man, I've, I'm, I'm only down 17 pounds from where I started. I've gained a little bit over the last few days. Because I'm monitoring so closely different, I have different metrics that I'm looking at, by the way, because I, I'm monitoring these things. I know what gets me to those things. Some of it may be lack of activity. Some of it may be, hey, you know, because I sit too much. Some of it may be because, hey, James, you ate a donut and a half today. Two donuts, two donuts. Like some of it's like bad eating decisions. Like I see these things. Maintaining is difficult, right? It's hard because, because you've got to make good choices daily. And so when God says, you must return to your God and maintain love and justice, you've got to make some hard choices every day, don't you? To love people and to love yourself and to love God. It's hard. Last little bit and we're done. And always, verse, verse 6, the last part, and always put your hope in God. Always put your hope in God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word.